Hey, Pastor Doug here. I'm on my way back from Israel this week, uh, but I am so glad you're at FBCO. If you're a guest, we want to welcome you especially. Thanks for being here today. Next Sunday, I'll be starting my series on the book of Revelation, and I hope you'll join me next Sunday, November 6th. Come and join us as we start going through this great book of the Bible. It's also the time change, the good one. You get an extra hour of sleep. So use that time to go to a life group and invite someone to come with you. It's a great book of the Bible, and uh, I hope you'll join me next Sunday for this really special time. Uh, notice in the pews in front of you, we have commitment cards for our 12 Stones uh, building campaign, and we'd love for you to pray about what God would have you to do. Remember, your tithe goes to the budget. That's how we do our mission and ministry here, but many of us will give above and beyond to the building program for the new building and for the renovations of our worship center and beyond. So I hope you'll consider what God wants you to do. At least ask God what he wants and no, no high pressure, but just I think there's something good about asking the Lord what he wants you to do. You can put those cards in the giving receptacles in the atrium or at the Seven Hills side, and we'll have a better idea of what, uh, of uh, kind of where we stand, what we're doing, and what we can expect. And we're really looking forward to what God's going to do in the days ahead. Well, today, uh, Skip Laniger is preaching for Skip's our associate pastor, and he's been at FBCO for a long time. He was a student pastor long years ago and then pastored in St. Louis and then came back many years ago to be our associate pastor here. And I'm just glad uh, Skip is preaching today. So you welcome Skip Leiniger to FBCO today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I will pick Pastor and the team up the airport about three o'clock today. So there's the biggest fly I've ever seen right there. He lives. I am not very good, Reese. <laughs> I gotta say. Well, first things first. Um, there's some things you should not start to do when you're 66, and one of them is mountain biking. So, uh, or at least you should. If you do it, you should do it well. Let's put it that way. Uh, had a little accident. It had been seven weeks ago now, up in Alabama with my son on a mountain, and I went uh, over a bridge a little too fast, and the bike went where I didn't want to go, and I was. Next thing I knew, I was down in a creek and and kissing a tree. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I had broke my nose, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, I'm healing. Hopefully tomorrow I'll find out from the doctor I can take this off. I had a full splint. I got this little one. So some things you should not start uh, when you're a little older. So got 120 miles on my our, our electric bikes, Johnny and I, but flat trails and whatever, but rocks and trees and bridges don't work very well for me. Um, I'm glad you're here for multiple reasons. Um, one of my favorite uh, passages is the book of Job, and we certainly can't tackle that whole book uh, today, but I want to give kind of an overview because I really believe the book of Job is an important and pivotal one for us. It's believed to be um, one of the oldest books in the Bible, uh, and it was written prior to Israel being a nation, so they're uh, Job was not quote-unquote an Israelite, but neither was Abraham. You know, Israel didn't exist yet. Uh, the names of, of folks in there are not typically Israelite names at all until Elihu and at the end. So it's kind of a foreign nation. It's a nation to the east. And yet, even then, there were those that worshipped God. And so it's interesting to me that when we... Uh, when we look at the book of Job as a part of wisdom literature, and by wisdom literature I mean 
Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are all kind of considered in those together, that um, God gave us this book early on, if not first, because it kind of settles the question of who is God and who are we? Who is God and who is man? I have a saying uh, years ago I was challenged to write some things down for my kids, and it was 10 things I want them to know uh, from me. And one of the first things was uh, there is a God, and you're not him. You know, and just that, uh, just that subtly, uh, you know, there is a God and I'm not him. And I think the reason I say that is if we're not careful, we try to fashion God with our hands. We try to imagine what he's like. And we say things like, well, if there's a loving God, Mariano, that's that fly. You get that? I'll give you a Dairy Queen, whatever. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, we try to fashion him with our hands and make him what we want to be. I, I, all the time I hear people, well, you know, if God was a loving God, he would not do this, or he wouldn't do that, or he would treat people this way, or he would, he would overlook this sin, he'd overlook that sin. That's not, I mean, that's not a biblical approach. We need to have an approach from Scripture as to who God is and what he does. Matter of fact, the approach we see even here is a God who is, who is just. Um, the, the, ancient, um, the ancient belief about God was exactly that, that God was a God of justice. You did wrong, boom, got, you know, the hammer came down. Uh, if you did wrong, uh, that's what happened. If you suffered, if you're going through suffering, if you were struggling, if things happened to you that couldn't be explained, and, and in the case of Job, all the things that happened, it happened for a reason. It happened because you had sinned, you know? And so um, that's what they definitely believed, and that's what the book of Job kind of began to offset to say. Not always is that the case. Sometimes God appears not to, to be involved or not to care. There seems to be unjust things towards people. Bad things happen to good people for a lot of other reasons. It doesn't mean that, that necessarily that person sinned. And we, you know, we all kind of think of that. Well, if I do this, I do that, God's going to get me. But this book answers that question. Who is God and who is man from the very beginning with Job? And so look with me um, at the very first chapter of Job. We're going to read just a few parts of the passages 1 and 2 as we think about who Job is and, and uh, what he stands for, I think not only that, he is a literal character. People say, um, uh, well, you know, he was just a fictional character so we could learn a story. You know, it's, a, it's an allegorical story. Well, there's, Job is composed of in beautiful prose. Um, the, the discourses between him and the three friends are, are, are poems that are cyclical poems, and he answers in circles and answers them back, and then they counter-answer. And so there is, without question, some beautiful poetry in the book of Job, but um, that doesn't mean he's not, because he's listed in Ecclesiastes twice. He's listed in the book of James in a genealogy that describes him and names Job as one of those who is uh, uh, one of the great heroes of the faith. And so uh, when we look at him, we understand that he is a, uh, was a real person. And here we see in Job chapter 1, verse 1, a little bit about his background. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send his, for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning uh, to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and maybe cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So we learn about Job, wealthy, wealth, one of the wealthiest men in the East, and it's part of why the, what happens to him, the calamity that happens is an is a incredible travesty because of all the people that knew him around. And we see all this. And so fearing God, even praying for his children, being that leader with his family, Job was a, a righteous man. And, and when we see uh, verse 6, one of the... Uh, uh, just a passage that describes a little bit about the test Job would face and, how, and who he would face it with. And it says, uh, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. That was a common uh, theme in the Old Testament, in the old Jewish writings, that God would, in a sense, hold counsel. He would hold counsel, and his angels and all around him would, would come and and uh, he would see how things are, are going. And so here we see Satan uh, already. The word Satan here, interesting, is already the word that indicates he's, fall, he's, he's got a, a, bit, a bit of a fallen nature because uh, the, the word Satan means the accuser. It means the adversary. I mean, he's considered the accuser of the brethren, almost a legal term. You know, and, uh, Satan would say, yeah, Job is really this and this. And if you did that, Job would do this. And yeah, Job, you know... God, you don't know. Here's what I know about Job. Job, and he just makes all these accusations against Job, and almost like a court of law. Do this, and this will happen. <clears throat> and so we see that uh, as, as Satan comes to God, he says that. And so the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and he turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay hold a hand on him or himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. They burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So we see attacking marauders that come from outside. Now we're seeing God himself, fire from heaven. So this isn't just an accident. It's not just living in an imperfect world. This appears to be God himself, and we'll see even more. <clears throat> well, that messenger came. He, he was still speaking when another one came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands. They made a raid on the camels, and they took them all away. They also struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, this is the part where I say, close the door, lock it, and don't let anybody else in. You know, I mean, I don't I know more. I don't need any more. But that's not what happens. Listen as this goes on. 
in verse 18, he was still speaking when another, another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. How do you live a life like that? I don't know how. How in the world do you respond to calamity and struggle and heartache and challenge and adversity? You lose everything. You're the wealthiest man around. That's a little bit of kind of who you are and who you're known as. But now all that's taken away. But you've got these seven sons and these three daughters. And God appears to take them away too. His legacy is gone. His wealth is gone. His holding and lands destroyed, crops destroyed, animals taken. And yet he says, naked I came from the womb, naked I'll return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's... I'm not sure I can grasp how to live like that. But I want to be that kind of Christian. And I hope you do too. As we see Job in in this light, a lot of things as he thinks about, we we learn a little bit more about him actually in chapter 2. And let's look at that together. Um, Because here's the the real final test that's going to come. It is interesting. Satan, um, without question, uh, has power. He is called the prince of the powers of the earth. So the storms, uh, those things that happened, you know, it's no, uh, he does have that power. But his power is limited because God has to allow it. God said, you can, do, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can't touch him. You can do this, but you can't do that. God's in charge. God's in control. And that's why when something does happen, it wasn't like God didn't know it was going to happen. When you're struggling, you're saying, God, what is going on? When you lose a loved one, when you lose your health, when you lose your wealth, when you lose things around you, and you're saying, but God, I've been faithful. I, I, I teach a, a life group. I, I read my Bible. I love my family. I'm not perfect, but God, I'm trying. And yet, when God looks down on us and sees us like that, he knows there's greater good that he wants to do with, in us and greater good that he wants from us. And so Satan is limited in what he can do. And God may allow it, but but God's going to use it for his honor and glory. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves again before the Lord. There's this heavenly council again. And Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan. There you go. Satan had to come to present himself. He is under the authority of God, we see. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him. And walking around on it, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. He's still hanging in there, Satan. You said, you accused him of, you blamed him of. But no, I knew what he's made of. I know the stuff he's made of. I know he trusts me. He's following me. Verse 4, Satan says, skin for skin, he answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. 
But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soils of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? And throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Lest we be too hasty here with Job's wife. Um, she had just lost all everything she had. She just lost the children she had birthed. And she said, Job, this is insanity. I got nothing. I don't even have you now. You're sick. You're dying. It's over. It's over. How many times have we found ourselves in that position to say, God just is done with me. It's over. I must not be under his favor. And yet Job, it says, throughout all this, he did not sin in what he said. And so we see kind of the next section that happens. And so the sections of Job are divided up into a couple things. First, we see that the first section really is kind of his Job's test um, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then really chapters, uh, or 1 and 2 actually, chapters 3 um, through, verse, through chapters um, 38, we see that Job uh, is, has his three friends here. And these three friends are the ones that basically are, are trying to get him to understand that the, he, he just, he's lost track of life. You know, he's, he's, he just doesn't understand that, that he's, um, uh, just, he's just not aware of the very fact that in, in the world he lives in, he's just out of touch with humanity. He's out of touch with the world. He's, he's in denial. And so these three friends, as they initially come, it's interesting, they, they knew him well, and they're called friends. Uh, each one of their names are names that are, again, they're not, is, they're not Israelite names, they're foreign names, uh, but they're, they're men in their own way who've trusted God. But they trust God with a sense of God, again, is a God of justice, and he's a God who's looking to zap you when you do wrong. And Job knows a God who's bigger than that. And so when they come, they see him, they see his condition, they say, we don't even recognize him. Here he is with ashes on his head, his head shaven, his clothing torn, and he's boils and sores. It's hard to even know who that is. And so they begin to even weep themselves with him. It said they sat next to him for seven days and just wept. With his sorrow, with the loss that he had, his things, especially his children. And then they began kind of a discourse to try to, what they thought, help him, you know, inflict help. And so for the chapters that I said, chapters 3 through 37, actually, we see Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar in, in cycles began to say to Job, here's what you've done, that, that here, you, you probably have done this wrong. You, you, you sinned, Job. Admit it, you sinned. And so Job says, each one of them says what he thinks happened. Job refutes it. There's a little cycle. Another one says, no, well, here's what I think you did. Job refutes it. A third one, here's what you did. Job refutes it. They, they do three full cycles of that over and over again. And Job refutes all of them and says, no, I didn't do any of those things. They start making up stuff. Well, you probably did this. 
You know, just don't even realize it. You probably, you know, in your heart, you did these things. Or you, you know, you're just not aware of what's going on. Job said, I did none of those things. I'm innocent. Job, as he talks to them, accuses, even, even basically cries out to God and says, God, this isn't fair. God, I, 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 I'm really feeling bullied right here, God. I'm really feeling like you've told me what I need to do and I did it and, and it's not enough. And so what we see with Job is, is not only his test, but we see how Job is one of those people who, who is tested and yet re- maintains his integrity in such a way that God says of him, he is one who is blameless. And so as Job is tested, um, we see some things about God and God himself. Number one, that idea of, of, of justice in the, in, the New Testament, in the Old Testament is, uh, is one that's basically God's just, he's fair. And because of that, um, if you do wrong, you're met with, the, with, with extreme prejudice. Boy, he just... Uh, God has a way of disciplining you quickly, and that's what Job was going through. But God says no. Job says no. He says God, God's different than that. And in verse 30, uh, or chapter 38, God begins to now answer Job. Elihu is another one, another friend that comes. Elihu is a little, he's a younger guy. And he says, you know, I've been listening to these old guys talk a little bit, and I have an idea. Elihu says, um, Job you know, sometimes God doesn't just bring adversity and calamity because we've done wrong. Certainly there are times, we, you know, when you, you know a, a companion of fools suffers harm, says Proverbs. You know, be careful who you hang out with. You know, um, but there, there's some biblical truths that basically say, you know, run, run with the wrong crowd, do the wrong things, go to the wrong places, you're going to get in trouble. I sat through a... a an AA meeting with a, a friend. We all kind of went to support them. And at this meeting, they said, you know, to their face, they said, you need to change your playgrounds and your playmates. I thought, wow, I like that thought. You know, you go to certain places, you're going to get in trouble. And so there, although that's true, Job knew that God was, was, he trusted God more than that. He lived it a little more faithful to that. But he knew God as a couple things. First, he knew that God was uh, the creator of the universe. God is the creator of the universe. He, God made the universe. He made everything in it. Job 38, verses 1 through 11, God says, and finally God answered Job from the eye of the whirlwind. He said, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself up, Job. Pull, put on, put up, your, up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided its size? Certainly you must know that. I, uh, who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstones while the morning staying in corners and the angels shouted praise? Job, where were you when I did all this? You don't have a clue how to design the earth or design the world. He goes into detail about, about animals birthing their young. He goes into details about the lion and how it hunts. He goes into detail about great animals in, in the ocean and, and animals that, uh, that he, he created with his hands who are powerful animals, and yet you know, and in their, even in their power and danger, God's in control of all. And Job is just face-to-face with this God who is not only creator, but he's face-to-face with the God who is, who is also sustainer. 
He sustains life. God sustains life in such a way that we understand that he, he keeps us going. Not only does he cre- did he create us, but he, he's here to help us throughout each and every day. And he's that sustainer of life. But God's also, we use those three words, the omni words, he's, he's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. He's a sovereign Lord. And so he's omnipotent. He's an omnipotent God. Not only is he omnipotent, but he's also omniscient, and that's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows, he knows what, 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 all about us. He knows all about folks in another country. He knows all about what's going to happen in the future. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And then God also is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. He's not limited by time or space. Satan is limited by time or space. God's not. See, that's why Jesus can be in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart. In my heart, I've trusted him as Savior. He's present everywhere. That's the God we have. It's amazing how he can be everywhere and everything. He's omnipresent. He is a God, literally, who uh, we are to follow his truth and we're to obey it. But Scripture also tells us that there's a presence of evil. That presence of evil is, this, is Satan. He's an adversary. He's the accuser of man. And there's the reality of injustice. That injustice is stuff like sin and evil and suffering. Why? Because we live in a fallen universe. We live in a universe that's fallen. God didn't want it this way, but man decided to choose for himself. Man basically decided he was God. You see, there's a God and I'm not him. And there's a God and you're not him. When we choose anything else but him... We've chosen an idol. And we replace God with something lesser. We can't do that. And so, because of this fallen universe, there is that presence of sin. And it, there is that presence of evil and the presence of suffering, even. But also, I think there's a sense of the, the injustice that we have is, is because of temptation. There is a real devil. Satan loves, the Bible says, to, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He would love to attack. He would love to derail you. He would love to keep people in this room who say, you know, I want to know more about trusting God with my life. I want to know about following somebody other than myself or the world or a, a job or what they say I'm supposed to do on the news or the computer or whatever. I want to follow a God who made me, who can keep me, who, can, who loves me and forgives me. Satan does not want that to happen. And he will do everything to keep you uh, uncomfortable in your seat. He'll do everything Christian he can do to keep you from telling anybody else about Jesus. You'll think, oh, I couldn't possibly tell them. What if I told them and they didn't like that? What if I told them and, 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 they, and they made fun of me? What if I told them and fill in the blank? He doesn't want us to come to know Christ. He doesn't want us to share Christ. Satan wants to keep us quiet. And he tempts us in a variety of ways to keep us quiet. And one of the ways is to, is to try to convince you you're not worthy to tell the gospel. You're not worthy. And so he tempts us. Then I think lastly, the, the, the reality of injustice we live in is, is that sin is a personal choice. We make sometimes some terrible choices. We make choices that um, just are not, are not good for us. 
Um, we, we know the right thing to do, but we, we don't always do it. Paul even said that. We know that we should do these things, but instead we choose other things. We choose uh, selfish things. And so we see that in the truth here is that we are a people who know what it's like to struggle. We're a people who know what it's like to, to, to have problems and heartache. And personal choice of sin affects each and every one of us. This weekend, my, one of my granddaughters was with us, and um, we, were, we were at a family member's house. And uh, well, Maggie said to me, she said, uh, Papa, did you know that God loves everybody? And I, I could already feel I was getting set up for something. Um, he loves everybody. There's a, there, there, he has the whole world in his hands. I said, you see, there's a song like that. It goes like this. He's got the whole world in his Sang the song all the way through for me. I said, that is so true, Maggie. I said, matter of fact, he's got Magnolia Jane in his hands. You want to sing that? Uh, no, not really. Um, okay. Um, she said, but God knows that he loves us and he got us in his hands. He knows all about us. And when we're good and we do good things, God loves us and he knows everything. He knows up in that cabinet are some little candy pumpkins. <laughs> and those candy pumpkins are for little girls who've been good. And I said, we need to talk to your mother. Oh, mom, why? But God loves me. I said, I'm, I'm sure God loves you. But, you know, we, guys, we do that. We fashion God with our own hands. We, we take God and we mold him and shape him. We say, hey, here's what God looks like. Or we keep him in a box and we show our friends, this is the God I have and serve. He's bigger than that. There is a God and I'm not him. There's a God and you are not him. He's much bigger than that. And Job was learning that lesson in this moment and this time in such a way that he realized, I have to trust this almighty God. I've got to trust him. One of Elihu's comments, the last friend that was there, said, Job, you know, sometimes we, we struggle because God wants to, he wants to stretch us and grow us. And sometimes we struggle because God wants to draw us close to him. When we go through adversity, when we go through darkness, when we go through struggle, he wants us to know that we can hold tighter to his hand. He brings adversity our way. He brings disease our way. He brings financial trouble and problems our way. God does that because he wants to draw us close. And he, Elihu was probably the closest, but he still couldn't speak. And then once God spoke, and God basically told Joel, Job, where were you when I did all this? God set Job straight in a hurry. Job then did the only thing he knew, knew to do, and that was repent. Job said, I, I, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I don't know what I don't know. Sometimes you don't mete out justice immediately because you offer grace. Sometimes you don't mean justice immediately because if, I if the dad got justice, the, the mom and the kids would get justice too. Sometimes, God, you know better than I know. God, I've got to give it to you. And I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going to go through, God, what I'm going through now, but I will, I will praise your name. God says, that's all I ask for, Job. All I ask is for you to trust me. He never explains why struggle happens. He never explains suffering and hardship. He just says, I want you to do this. Trust me through it. 
Can you do that? Can you trust God through the hard times? Whether you're young or old, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to give him that kind of a life where, where you are willing, willing to do that? You see, what's hard is the fact that as a human, I'm finite. I'm finite. I'm dependent on others. I'm dependent on God. And I'm also very self-centered. I'm self-centered. I, I, I'm worried about me and nobody else. All too easy, all too often. It's my nature. I have to fight that thinking of others. And also, I'm maturing and understanding. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I'm maturing in that. And I hope I'm a little more mature tomorrow than I am today and a little more mature the next day. But I have to grow in my faith. And my God's not big enough yet. And he won't be big enough till even when I'm standing before him, I will be in awe of that God. There is a God, and I'm not him. Say that with me. There is a God, and I'm not him. For you admit that is to admit you are not your own idol. For you admit that is to admit there's somebody bigger and greater than you. For you to admit that means that you need to do something about knowing how to follow that God, how to obey that God. If he truly made you, if he made this world we live in, if he keeps it all together and holds it together, and he, and he wants a relationship with you, then how do we do that? We've got his word here. I guarantee you, as many of us here would love to share that good news of how you can begin that relationship, walking with this wonderful God who created us, made us, and loves us. There's a God, and I'm not him, but he, this is a God who is not only holy, he's a God who loves me. And so, even though I'm finite, even though I'm self-centered, and even though I'm still growing in my faith, but in Christ I have some special things. In Christ, we have freedom. In Christ, we have freedom from the penalty and the, and the power of sin. In Christ, we have forgiveness. We're brought back into right relationship with God. When we sin, we can come right back to Him. We can ask for forgiveness. But also in Christ, we have access to the Father. We have access to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. He is a good, good Father. He's a Father who loves us. He's a Father who's given us access to Him, and it's in Jesus we have that wonderful. Even when we're attacked, even though when we're accused by the accuser, Satan himself, even though you're going through a battle that may be a spiritual battle, because the Bible clearly tells us we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against spiritual forces, and there were people that would love to keep you from being faithful as a Christian. Satan would love to keep you inept. Satan would love to keep you unsuccessful in sharing Christ. Satan would love to keep you a baby Christian forever, never growing, never maturing, never trusting as we should. And yet there are those in, in the faith that we have who've done great things. Joshua chapter 24 records the words of Joshua as he gives his final instructions to the children of Israel. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him with sincerity and truth. Put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood and the gods from Egypt. And choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We won't serve ourselves, we'll serve the Lord. 
David says in Psalm 23, something we, we've all recited a time or two, but David says, as a shepherd, as a one who knows that sheep are, are animals that need somebody to take care of them because they're dumb animals. As, as a shepherd, I know what it takes to care for them. I know what it takes to protect them. I know what it takes to provide for them and to see them do well. As a shepherd, the Lord <laughs> is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in a green pasture where there's plenty of grass. Besides still water, I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd, says David. That's who he serves. Solomon, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Why is this man in the world, supposedly? Don't lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Solomon. Daniel in the Old Testament, as he's in the fiery furnace about to be thrown in because he's tricked by the accuser. Even in the Old Testament, we see Satan rearing his ugly head and Satan using uh, different, uh, different people in, in places to maybe harm God's children. In this case, to shut Daniel up and the, the other three. Uh, by having a place in the fiery furnace. They weren't praying right. They weren't doing right. They were asking the people to trust God and not trust the, the priest of that day, of that king in time. Therefore, they wanted to try to shut Daniel up. Sounds like Satan all over again. And Daniel says this to the king who he loved and the king who trusted him and said, oh, I have to do this. I, I, I made a decree. I made the law. Daniel says, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, out of thine hand, O king. He said, God's able to save us from this furnace. But then listen to this, verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image which you have set up. We will serve the Lord only. We'll go down to death, even if God doesn't save us. Because it's him we serve. Not you, not your idols, not ourselves. New Testament, we see Mary, who's been, had an angel appear to her. She's frightened. She hears the angel tell her that she's going to become the mother of the Messiah, this birth is going to be, you know, very different than any other birth. It's, it's going to be through the Holy Spirit and not through a man. It's going to, Mary is going to be that, the, the virgin who would carry the child that is spoken of in Scripture. And yet all of that, as Mary is told this, facing the potential of, of, of ridicule, facing the temple of, well, how'd you get pregnant? And knowing she was already uh, married or at least betrothed to Joseph, and that would probably end that, not knowing what her future holds. Mary says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me as you have said. The word of the Lord. John the Baptist says, as he saw Jesus coming for his baptism, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Then later in prison, John would say, when his disciples came to him and said, now, should we be following you or following this Jesus guy? We know you're locked up in prison, but what should we do now? John says, no, you follow him. Because 
He must increase and I must decrease. That's what John said about God. That's what John said about Jesus. Peter said Jesus was his rock. He was the cornerstone. He admitted to him, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter proclaims. We see Paul in 2 Timothy 4 say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. I've done my best. I go home to a God who I've run a race for, who I've fought a fight with for, and I look for that day when I come. The angels in heaven, John records, chapter 4, verse 8, the four creatures who have wings about them and eyes all around so they can see 360 degrees. They sing out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. That's what they say about God. And Job, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his trial, to his friends, in verse 19, in Job 19, verses 25 and 26, says, I know boils, heartache, loss of family, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, He will stand, and I will stand with Him on the earth. I will see Him. Job knows that He will be with His Redeemer in a powerful way. God goes on to record the fact that Job is, after he, he, they talk, Job repents. God accepts his repentance Job disciplines and corrects the friends. He restores Job twofold everything he had. He got twice as many sheep back, twice as many whatever. He got it all back. Um, that's what they, you know, they used to say about a, back in the day when you play records. If you took a country western record and you played it backwards, the guy would get his gun back, his pickup truck back, his girlfriend back, you know, all the stuff he lost. I don't know. In this case... Job got it all back twice, except he just got seven sons and three daughters. And somebody said, you know, God didn't, didn't, didn't grant him double for his children. Well, even those seven sons and three daughters, that's difficult for anybody to lose. There's not a mother in this, in this room, there's not a mother anywhere that wants to lose a child. There's not a mother anywhere that wants to have a miscarriage. There's not a mother or a father anywhere that wants to, to see one of their children go. Or a, any of us that have loved ones we love. You can't, it can't replace that. And God knows that. But here's what God also knows. As far as I'm, I'm pretty sure that your camel won't go to heaven. But when Job got to heaven... There were seven sons and three daughters waiting for him. And within a few years, there were seven more sons and three more daughters that were waiting for him. Fourteen boys and six girls. He got double because God knew that Job would be reunited with the ones he'd taken. Now, there's hope for us, those of us who have loved ones who've gone on before us. 
There's hope for you who've lost loved ones, and you say, oh, God knows. God knows the hurt. God knows the heartache. God knows what you feel. And he says, I want to be your God. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I want to serve that God. I want to trust that God with my life and my future. And I hope you do too. If you want to know more about that God, we'll be at the connection point later and be happy to talk about it. Christian, I really want to challenge you today. Look at some things in your life that you'd say, I need to make some changes in order for God to be bigger than what he is. I need to make some changes in order for, for God to be God and not me to define who God is. Because I think a, a loving God or a whatever God would only do, that's your kind of God. Who is he really? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this day and time together. God, I thank you that you challenge us to mature in our faith, to let you become bigger. It's really like John said, he must increase and I must decrease. God, may we see you as Job began to see you, as the God of the universe who understands what we don't understand. May we see that we can trust you with our lives, we can trust you with our health, we can trust you with our finances and with our family as we commit those things to you. Father, I pray that this day there will be those who say, you know, I've never trusted him, I've never given him my life, that they do that, that we'd have an opportunity to talk about that. Father, I pray today that Christians would say, here, God, I want to I be faithful to you, more faithful than I've ever been. I want people to see Jesus in me in such a way that they want the Jesus I have. Father, I thank you that you are bigger than I ever imagined. Father, I thank you that you are... You are you are sovereign over this world. You are in control and almighty. And I have an almighty God. I have a sovereign God, not a small God. One I, I choose to know more and more about every day. One I choose to obey and trust more and more every day. And help me do exactly that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.